Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle and joining me tonight is a man that honoured me this weekend by inviting me to his son's bar mitzvah. It's Josh Howie and a woman that was positively ostracised from the event. It's Dana Alexander. Yeah, that was me. Have you ever cooked for Josh's children? I haven't. I've done nothing for them. I have. And yet you and were I, snubbed. I was snubbed. I know, but I'm a bigger fan of Andrew. I've actually come dressed tonight <laughs> as Andrew. This is my Andrew Doyle that, cosplay yeah, outfit. You haven't, so, you know. <laughs> so there we go. Maybe you should try this outfit it's next time, Andrew. I will do that. We'll swap. <laughs> Andrew's having a big impact on my life. I'm reading books now. <laughs> massive difference. My hair's going back a little bit. Well, I don't want to cause any tension <laughs> between you. you from the very start. Let's not do that. Let's go through first the front covers of tomorrow's newspapers. And we begin with The Telegraph. And The Telegraph has... Hollow victory tears Tories apart. And this is, of course, uh, the main theme of the day. The vote for Boris Johnson, 211. The vote against, 148. We're going to be getting to that in a minute. The front cover of The Guardian has PM clinging to power after vote humiliation. There he is in a car looking very distressed. And then we move on to the Financial Times. That runs with Johnson wounded in confidence vote as 41% of Tory MPs rebel. Then on to the mirror, and we continue with the theme. This time, parties over, Boris. Very direct from the mirror there. Then moving on to the Times, a wounded victor. And they're going with the same photograph that The Guardian has. The Metro, the party is over, Boris. Well, that was the headline that The uh, Mirror had as well, so lack of originality there from The Metro. And finally, Daily Star goes with Carry On Pinocchio. Fibber MP survives to lie another day. Well, they're very much uh, wearing their views on their sleeve there at the Daily Star. And those are tomorrow's front pages. And of course, inevitably, we lead tonight's show with the Boris result. Is this a good night or a bad night for the Tories, Josh? It's a bad night for the Tories. Obviously, it's a bad night for Boris Johnson. I mean, the figure, everyone's talking, you know, 211 for, 148 against. But the real figure there is 41% of his own MPs voted against him. Yeah, it's huge. How is that sustainable for him to run a successful government from this point? When it happened with Theresa, Theresa May, when she had her vote of um, confidence, she won that, but she won it with a higher margin, and she still only lasted six months. Yeah, I mean, I'm struck by this. So 63% of MPs in the 2018 vote yeah. with Theresa May in the no-confidence yeah. vote supported her. That, for Boris Johnson, is only 59 So. She actually outperformed him, Dana. She 100% outperformed him, and she was a lot more reasonable than he was and is. And I think this is a really sad thing right now, specifically because we're dealing with the cost of living crisis and what's happening with the Ukraine. So what's going to happen is everybody's going to be cons everybody's going to be consumed by getting Boris out when there's other matters at hand that need to be dealt with. I guess the real question is is whether or not Boris is going to be able to effectively deal with these things, like the cost of living crisis. 
I've said this before, but I think he's in a very weak position, so I think now's the time to press him. Ah, but, just press him. But, but building what you've just said there, doesn't this mean that actually this is quite bad for everyone, whether you support the Tories or not? Mm -hmm. They are the government that are in power. Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, we've got these other things. We've got Ukraine, cost of living, monkeypox. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But you know what I mean. There's a lot going on, and, and it's not really helpful to anyone if this is the focus of our leading politicians. Well, it is because he's so weak, right? So when he's weak, he's trying to get that popularity, and we can start pushing for things. Things. For example, we got that energy rebate, right? And I think that was part of his distraction tactics. I think he's all about distracting. Yeah, but I'm the difference is that he's going to try to appeal to his more right-wing base by putting things through, like, selling council flats, doing, you're going down that route, rather than necessarily appealing. That's and, his risk main losing, and risk losing even more support? Well, he, you see, that's no, he's going to have to come to the middle. He's going to have to... Well, that's interesting right because what, what Dana's saying is right. You know, we did get the double the amount of the rebate, and then we've also had the windfall tax, which Labour have been pushing for for ages, and all of a sudden the Tories are doing it. So. Yeah, yeah, but they're both Labour part, and they look weak because they're having to adopt Labour policies. This is the problem is, with this leadership vote or not, the fact is they have been rudderless yeah. for a long time, and I don't see any vision here placed out of, like, what he wants to achieve or how he's going to lead this country... I'm just struck, though, I don't know if you saw Jesse Norman's uh, letter today, yeah. which he tweeted out, and this is an ally of Boris Johnson for 15 long term, years. Yeah. Like, a really long-term ally. This is like... A, a, and it was so brutal in, in its content, just, just sort of going through the various reasons why I think he ha absolutely has to go, you know, so the, the strength the of feeling is The amount of essays I've, I've read on why Boris Johnson is incompetent, dating back to even his primary school teachers. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, he has his enemies, yes. He has his but, enemies. But, but this is from a friend. That's my this point. This is from a that's, friend, but I mean... That's my point. Too little, too late. I don't know. But also, the telling quote for me was, it says, here, uh, allies said their leader was in serious mode as he outlined his plans uh, to deliver or something. Why do we have a leader who's got the serious mode? Like, that's a thing that needs to be in question. That should be the default, Always, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that, for me, is exactly telling. OK, what, what so let's ask the big question. He got a haircut, that's how you know he's yeah. serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's looking a lot more spruce, absolutely. <laughs> he didn't but, comb it, but he cut it. it. Well, which is a start, let's face it, although we could introduce him to a hairbrush from time to time. But what do we think about this? Where could it go? Who could it be? Who could... I mean, the thing is... It is. It's about you know, who's going to be that leader. And I think it's the same thing with the Scottish referendum, right? And the reason they decided to stay with Britain is because nobody could give a decisive answer on what they were going to do with the currency. And I think that's what the Tories are facing now. If they had somebody who was strong and could take us to the front, who is it going to be? Rishi? Give me a break. Well, they're talking about Rishi. They're talking about Jeremy Hunt. Oh. They're talking about um, Tom Tugan. All of them have fatal flaws. And um, I don't see any of them. There's certainly no, like, like you say, clear contender to the throne here. Do you think, though, I mean, Theresa May did eventually, even though she was ostensibly protected by the no, winning the no-confidence yeah. vote for 12 months, she, she still went after a few months. With this, uh, this number of MPs rebelling against him, is it really sustainable? Because by all accounts, oh, they were hoping for less than 100, they're right? They're petty as hell. They'll get them out soon enough. You think it will happen? Oh, 100%. OK, well, we shall find out. Only fate will tell. On to Tuesday's Times. And a Briton captured by Russian forces is facing the death penalty, Dana. What's yeah, so Aidan Aslan was used by Russian-backed separatists in a propaganda video after his capture. So he was actually arrested for being a mercenary, which is punishable by execution. And for those of you guys who don't know, know a mercenary is somebody who is uh, a professional soldier hired by another, you know, another uh, military force. Yeah. I've watched um, a lot of Steven Seagal movies. Yeah, so you're familiar with the concept. <laughs> it's basically America, isn't it? It's basically America. I think we need to look at this because 
This is not the first prisoner that's been taken. This guy is obviously somebody who's been involved in combat, but I'm sure many of you are familiar with Brittany Griner, the um, WNBA player who's been in um, captivity, who's been in prison for the last, you know, 100 days. It sets a precedent. We have to really understand what the difference is between somebody who is an ally and a mercenary, right? I think, I don't know if anybody has missed this, but Russia's trying to start World War Three, And I don't know why... You think that's the end game? 100% they're trying okay, to start. OK, but this is slightly more ambiguous insofar mm -hmm. as this man has dual citizenship. He's mm -hmm. part Ukrainian, part British. Mm -hmm. And this article, according to The Times, He's not a mercenary. He was fighting with the Ukrainian army. So actually, by the Geneva Convention, an execution would, well, it would be in violation of that. Well, of right? course, so, there, so Russia is doing what it's done in all, in all their other conflicts over the last 20 years, which is to create their own false narrative and put it out there and certainly to sell it to their own people and certainly to try and sell it to the rest of the world. The denazification of Ukraine, yes, as opposed again again, to yes. the many more... Nazis you've actually got in Russia. Yes. Uh, there's a great book I read. read a book. Um, <laughs> I look called, how proud you are when you read I'm a book. I'm so it's happy great. I read it, but it is a really good book. <laughs> Nothing is true and everything is possible. It's written by this uh, journalist who lived in Russia for like the last 15 years or so. Yeah. And it really gets to the bottom of the Russian psyche and just how captured they are. Because when Putin got in power, the first thing he did really was take control of their media. Of course. So all of that, and that from there, it's like the whole generations of Russians now have just been indoctrinated. Well, this is what despots do, isn't it? And, you yeah. know, early in the conflict, we saw this. The people in Russia themselves didn't know what was going on. They were being fed something very different from the reality. Do we but, even know well, what's going on? Well, this is what I was going to ask. You know, are we getting the full picture here? We don't know. Well, we are at GB News. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Let's stick up for our channel, absolutely. We're getting all of the information. Tuesday's Guardian next. And is the Pope dropping hints about his future? Don't pontificate too much on this, oh, Josh. Oh, very good. Well, that, that was an etymological uh, pun. I, that's smart. I will look up what Entian means later. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, the Pope, uh, this is actually somewhat outside of my area of expertise. Yes. And you all know this has, you came to my son's bar mitzvah. But I believe that he's Catholic. Is that uh, the there, are is, there are rumours. There are rumours. OK, that's so this, I'm, yes. on the, I'm on the right mm -hmm. ballpark. Yeah, 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 you are, you are. Um, There's one from the Southern Hemisphere. Don't know if you knew that about yes, the Pope. Yes, uh, Argentinian Pope. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there we go, yeah. So, uh, Breaking all sorts of ground. I don't know about this whole, like, retire... This seems like the last Pope retired, and this seems to be becoming, like, a theme. Like, he, he's trying to sort of bring it in a little bit, it sounds like, from reading this article. Well, but, I mean, we don't know. That's we don't know, we but don't... there's a lot of, like, people looking into signs of what he's doing. He's going to be bringing forward this vote to bring in a lot more of cardinals. They vote for the next uh, pope. Um, and he's doing some stuff that previous pope did that before he retired. Yes. So there's a lot of stuff. You're, are you, where, what religion are you? Catholic. You're Catholic. Yeah, exactly. this is my ballpark. This is but, your, uh, this is... But, but the, the, this is what's so interesting about this article is that, that no, he, at no point has he said he's going to go the way of Benedict. He's, he isn't saying that he's resigning, but he's doing things like he, apparently he went to this festival in L'Aquila and this was a festival relating to Celestine V who did resign as Pope and, and in the Ke 13th yeah. century. Chemical brothers so, are playing at there. <laughs> what, back in the 13th century? Yeah, yeah. They've been going a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently this is uh, something that Benedict did as well, mm. signalling, you know, that he was going to do the same Can thing. Can we just let 85-year-old people retire? Well, yeah. this is the thing with the Pope, though. They don't generally do this. this I mean, you'll remember when Benedict retired, it, it, it was seen as something quite outlandish. And I think there might be concerns that if Francis does the same, it almost it becomes like this is now yeah. the thing that Pope. But then you've got do. two ex, two, and they're not Pope, they're Pope Emeritus. Pope Emeritus, it? yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's like there's too many cooks there. 
We just want oh, one. Oh, you know, gossip within the Vatican, it's actually caused Francis some problems, having this other pope. I, I think we also run into issues when we have people that are, you know, 85, no disrespect, but things were very, very different, you know, 65 years ago when they would have been, you know, sure. 20 years and things, 20 years old and things like that. So it's good and when they gonna, died early. No, it's, it, if we're going to talk, we, we, we need to look at religious reform. In all, in all religions, right? We can look at it in Islam, we can look at it in Christianity, Catholicism, and I think there's a point where you need a bit of... <laughs> You need a bit of new blood in well, there it's, sometimes. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because Francis has been seen as a reformer. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of his views on social issues, particularly on gay issues, things like this, mm -hmm. he's been quite... Relative to other popes, he's been quite progressive. Well, you know? he, well, he's not an Italian for a start, so that's a change. Yeah. Right, that well, is a change. All I really know is what I saw when I watched Godfather 3. So that's, that's where most I'm, of your information's that, that, come from. So I'm trying to fit that narrative as he made a deal with the Vatican <laughs> Bank and now Michael Colleone's going to come and become... Yeah, sort of... and a director's going to cast their daughter even yeah, she's not right for the role, yeah, so all just, of that. ended up with her first cousin. That just always... I know, that is a, that is a troubling plotline of that one, yeah. Although, I generally like the film. But anyway, it's not a film show. Uh, Tuesday's <laughs> Telegraph Now and the Iraqi justice system has captured and sentenced one of the UK's most dangerous types of criminals, retired geologists from Bath. I mean, this does seem a bit excessive, doesn't it, Dana? It might seem a little bit excessive, but retired geologist Jim Fitton, who has been sentenced to 15 years in prison over shards he collected during an archaeology trip. So, um, Mr Fitton tried to pretend, well, he claimed that he wasn't aware that what he was doing is illegal, which I don't find plausible when you work in the field of geology. Furthermore, what is he doing taking these things out of the country as a retiree? We did a story on the last show, that, I, that the last episode that I was on, about a woman who found a Roman pendant on her own property in this country, yes. and she was forced to basically turn it over to the authorities. But that makes more sense to me than the kind of draconian uh, prison sentence. We actually... It's Iraq. We, we, sure. Mm. We spoke about this on the show, actually, a few months, because when the story first broke, they were talking about the potential death sentence. Mm. And at that time, a lot of people, all the accounts were that basically the tour guide himself yeah. had said, these bits of pottery that are around the floor, you can pick them up, you can take them. He was informed that that was the case. And look, Josh, by all accounts, this guy is someone who is genuinely interested in other cultures, is very respectful mm. of other cultures. Everyone has nothing but good things to say about him. It does feel like uh, this is Did he declare it? They have, Did he declare it? They have a massive problem in Iraq, obviously, what's been going on over the lot. And ISIS was selling the, um, a lot of historical yes, stuff yes. to fund. So this has become, so, like a, obviously, a big national issue for them, losing their heritage. There are a few dodgy things here that I think... First of all, he was a geologist for oil and gas companies, so maybe they're getting their revenge, Right. number one. Uh, number two is that um, actually it seems like he gave the stuff to the guy he was travelling with. So that guy has got off now and they've sort of said, no, no, he had, didn't have anything to do with it. But it sounds like you might have known he was doing some dodgy stuff and like said, hey, mate, would you mind just putting these in your bag? That's, we don't know. I we don't know. We don't know. But, but they were going to plead ignorance as a geologist. That's your profession. But, but you know, these here in yeah, but they he's, not, they, he's, not, they, he's not an archaeologist. I can't just, even show my hair in some places in Iraq. Like, come I on. Know. I know. I look. I make the point you're making about Iraq is fair. But you know, these are not valuable uh, pieces of art. I, just, I, I think. I think. To who? As in monetarily. But I mean, the the point about this. Uh, no, everyone acknowledges that they're not mm -hmm. valuable. But the, the point about this, I think, is, is is partly what Josh is saying is that there is a hypersensitivity surrounding this kind of thing because of what ISIS did. You know, they were selling, they were plundering and selling this stuff to fund their 
themselves. And I think that now they've come down. And not down just ISIS. And, I mean, it's been not just ISIS. Yeah. I mean, so it's many been going pieces on. of history and artifacts have been plundered from so many countries around the world. Yeah. We could talk about the Koh-i-Noor, but we'll move on. We could talk about the Parthenon marbles. We could talk about all sorts of exactly. things. You know, I'm not a fan no. of. I could talk about that stuff if I knew what it was. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the British Museum oh, once in a while. No, you can't no, even take no, a picture no. of yeah. some of the, art, the the Queen's jewels and things like that. One of our friends, one of our colleagues, Sir, mm. what's his name, Tom something, his dad's like a beef eater. They, li they literally mm. live at the Tower of London. And I just went in there. I'm like, wow, look at these jewels. As soon as I tried to take a picture, it's like, stop that. Oh, I know. You know Have you ever tried doing it in the Sistine Chapel? I mean, they will, no. they will rip your throat right out. Yeah, like, I, you take a photo of that. Mm -mm. But then why should you? You're there to enjoy the beauty of it. Anyway, uh, a local paper now. We're going to the Bolton News and... Uh, this is a film that has caused something of an uproar in the community. Josh, you have the details on this? Yes, so uh, Bolton Cineworld um, had this film showing, which is called Our Lady in Heaven. Um, it's not necessarily about, but it features the Prophet Muhammad's daughter. And there was a protest outside the cinema um, by about 50 to 100 um, men. They all seem men, I've seen from seeing the video footage who are protesting it, saying it's offensive. Right. few things that we need to get into here. First of all, why is the Bolton News the only newspaper that seems to be covering this? Because this seems to be quite a big deal. Maybe because that's where it was showing? No, but why is it the only newspaper mm. that's covering mm. it? When you've got a protest here of 100 men outside and they have managed to actually be successful in their uh, endeavour to ban this film... That, for me, feels wrong. That's, that's kowtowing to mob rule. Well, let's, actually, before you go on, let's just have a it's quick a, look. We've got a video clip, I believe, of the protesters. Can we see that? Let him talk one minute! I am the manager of this cinema, and I'm just confirming that this film is cancelled tonight. And, and, and for the rest of this week, we will not be showing the film again. OK, and it's interesting, it's not just... Apparently, this, there have been other cinemas that have been affected. I think Birmingham Cineworld has also pulled it. So, various, so this, is, this, I think, is something that's going to be spreading and spreading because the film is very, very controversial. The only film review I've seen of it is in The Guardian. They gave it two stars, mm. so it might be quite good. I think it's more about... It's not necessarily just about the film. It's actually about what that holiday represents. For example, right. uh, in, in Iran, this has been completely banned uh, and, and deemed uh, the, uh, the usurper of Islam, right? So the, these are people who are seeking to reform mm. Islam and there's not too much known there's not too much known about this whole thing because they've really tried to shield the information so this is, no, around no, no, this. No, no, that's not true. Sorry. It is true. No, it, well, no, it's not true. What's happened is it's essentially it's a sectarian thing. So it's not like some people have come along and made this offensive movie about the about Muhammad. Yeah. It's what it is is a Shia Sunni situation mm -hmm. where the uh, Sunnis are saying it's offensive because I mean, I, I did actually read a book about 10 years. If I remember correctly, the, the, the schism there was about... Um, it all went to, like, who was going to be the true followers yes, of, it's, of it's, Islam from that, and it was all about the succession. It is so, about, this, exactly. so this is putting forward a Shia narrative. Yes. And so it's offending Sunni. Yes, and what I'm saying, it, yeah, it, but it dates back before the movie, but the controversy oh, isn't sure, just... Sure, but I'm just saying this isn't like point. some sort of Western portrayal of... No, you know, or anything no, no, like no, that. No, no. Was this, well, yeah, OK, yeah, but yeah, let's yeah. talk more broadly about this, insofar as what does this suggest about artistic freedom and the freedom to reinterpret religious stories for artistic purposes? I mean, we go back to the Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie, 
which is a fantastic book, and it does uh, draw on the story of the prophet, although it does not refer to him by the same name, gives him a different name, the characters are named differently. And a lot of people, I mean, there were people burning that book on the streets of Bradford, people who hadn't read the book or, or attempted to engage or understand the book. So what, what is, well, you know, go back all the way to Life of Brian. Lots of people were very angry about... Or Protestants the, versus Catholics. Right. This is a perennial thing. So don't we think, though, that artists and filmmakers and auteurs should have the right to use whatever material in whatever they, way they want? And if people are upset because it offends their religion, they can choose not to watch the film. I think when we talk about reinterpretation, some reinterpretation of people's belief systems... Yeah, but it's not reinterpretation. It's their interpretation, and it goes against but the counter narrative. But I was... It was more... To, it was about oh, I'm just saying that this particular point, incident... Specifically to well, let's hear Dana's view on this point particularly. That was, it was specifically yeah. to your point. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, art, like, artist expression and reinterpretation of religion, you know, people live their lives by these rules, right? Sure. So a lot of people will not accept any sort of reinterpretation, especially when we talk about Islam. Islam is one of the books that has not, like if you look at the Bible, for example, how many different versions of the Bible are there? There's yes. St. James, or sorry, King James version, there's a new interpreted version. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's been translated so many times, people start to say, well, what is the message if we can keep, you know, if it keeps evolving in this way? That is the one thing about Islam that hasn't changed is the Quran has stayed but should, the same. I suppose the question is, uh, I mean, recognizing uh, the the fierce traditionalism within the religion, mm -hmm. uh, should even that not be open for ridicule even, mockery, reinterpretation by artists and comedians? Isn't that a right of everyone to do? It, it should be a right in a free society, mm -hmm. uh, but that isn't, that, that isn't even what is happening here. This isn't about ridiculing Mohammed in any way. This is about a different sect... Uh, yes. of Islam. No one having suggested a that, by the way. No, no, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying that would... You, when you see mobs of men chanting Allah Akbar for them winning their thing and you think, oh, is this like someone's come in with some Charlie Hebdo sort of caricature or something like that? No, this isn't... And it isn't is, that in this case. No, not I, at all. This is... this, And this was a film that was made to promote religious diversity, whether they've succeeded or I not. That, they've, think... been, they've been respectful. They're made by Muslims. It was made... To, you know, according to Islamic law in terms of not showing Mohammed's face. I think the, I think the controversy and... is about the prophet, Farhat ul-Zara. Yes. That's the controversy. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, I was sort of suggesting that irrespective of... I think you're right, your account of the film is correct, but even if it had gone out of no, its no, way to mark, I do think it no, should no, be able to. No, absolutely, but, you know, what's scary for me is watching that video further where... The, the guy with the microphones out in front of the cinema, and then he just says, like, oh, he's like, oh, it wasn't my decision, it was the central office's decision to play here. I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, it was just total capitulation. I think it's intimidation, then, basically. I think it is intimidation, and, and I think for them to go along... He's terrified. With, well, I'm sure he is terrified, and he shouldn't be put in that position. Yeah. It's sure. wrong. There, by the way, no police there. No. Well, it's, it's well, wrong. It, you know who we, should have been there? You. Yeah, well, Josh has strong views on this, so absolutely. And I'll be like, but let's move on. My name is Andrew Doyle. <laughs> Don't you drop me in it. Okay. Let's crack on, shall we? We'll start with Tuesday's Guardian. Uh, sorry, no, Tuesday's Mail. And this is Ryanair which has come up with an interesting ticket verification method, Dana. Yeah, so Ryanair is accused of Apartheid 2.0, a policy that makes South African passengers take a test in Afrikaans before they are allowed to board planes in the UK and Europe. And I think it's very important for people to remember that South Africa has 12 national languages, the most uh, widely spoken languages being Zulu and Kosa, 
And the, um, the most popular language, I think, is English. So the, the thing is, despite the fact that Afrikaans is only the third most spoken language in the country and was often forced on black South Africans during the apartheid era, it's unreasonable. So can you explain this to me? Because I'm very confused about this. If, if this is the third most common language in the country, mm -hmm. why would they choose this as the verification technique when there must be people who don't speak it? Well, it's moving the goalposts, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of the time when you cross a border, I've been in this trouble many times, even though I have a Canadian passport. They look yeah. at the colour of my skin and they check me twice. They check me thrice. And this is this is another way of giving people another hurdle. So Ryanair is saying that this is because of the high prevalence of fraudulent South African passports. So do you yeah. find that convincing, Josh? Well, that's their reason. The question is why they chose Afrikaans as opposed to one of the other languages. English. Why wouldn't they choose if English? It, I mean, well, and why is this an issue for Ryanair? This it's is so a, strange. This it's, is a border issue. This is a home office. Isn't it just Ryanair messing Ryan up Air. again? You know, they tend to be quite heavy-handed with some of their decisions. You know, Ryan, not... if Ryanair can squeeze you for anything, oh. they will. Maybe do you it. have to like pay more to get the Zulu test. Yeah, or the, or the English <laughs> test. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. You have to pay for. Extras for absolutely everything you want, don't you? I yeah. think they should start forcing Ryanair uh, staff to speak Zulu and Klosa on the on the flights. That'll, yeah, that'll teach that them. And also do everything in Gaelic. Yeah, for the youth. Well, sure, it's Ryanair. Why yeah. they? Why, hey, they got, Gaelic Gaelic. And, they got Gaelic going in Dublin. I think it's amazing to bring back those languages. And Welsh language uh, is also on the rise as well. I think it's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, not many people speak Preserve it. your culture think, and your uh, heritage. And yeah, and her it. family, and that's about it. But you know, Tuesday's Guardian and the four-day week. Good idea or illustrative of our modern work-shy culture, Josh? What do you think? No, I mean, uh, it's, it's, this is the, the largest ever um, trial now for, yeah. for the four-day week. People have been pushing the four-day week for a long time. Uh, now, more than 3,300 workers in the UK, it's, they started on Monday, but, of course, there was a tube strike in London, so some people are now doing a three-day work week yes. uh, from that. It's running for six months. And it follows this model, which is called it's the 180-100 model, i.e. Yeah. You, uh, you get 100% of the pay, 80% of the time, but there should be 100% of the productivity. Right. That's the idea. Uh, work, intense. And, and the reality is that there are a lot of jobs that can be done at, in a smaller amount of time. Sure. That, so, well, I'm interested in this because I was reading about this a couple of months ago. There's a book, a new book by Johan Hari called Stolen Focus. Mm. And it talks about these studies that have been done in Australia where they've implemented precisely this study. And they found that if you, if you reduce it to four days a week, mm. they, people still do come back with 100% of the, pro, the same productivity yeah. that they're doing five days because they're more refreshed, they enjoy their jobs more. It just seems like a no-brainer. If, if the data is saying this works, why not? If it does work, I remember there's somebody was telling me there was a guy who was a little bit too eager in the dish pit, and one of the other Jamaican guys back there says, "Why are you doing? Wait, 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 working so hard for you know? You don't just know they're going to make you work harder. You know, people tend to just do the minimum of what but, they but, have to I'm do. do. Maybe I'm if they were more rested, maybe yeah. if they were more rested, had the three days. Well, no, maybe... I, I don't think it's an issue of rest. I do think. I mean, come on, how many of us are at work just kind of, yeah. like, even if we could look at the office over here, how many times you can look at who's making how many trips to the coffee machine and the fridge and things like that. I think it's a great thing. I think we have to ask why companies are doing this, right? Because it right. almost seems antithetical to, you know, making profits and things like that. And I think what's happening is that because we have so many jobs available, companies have to get competitive. They do, but if it does turn out that it does make their work workforce more productive and they do end up making more money, they'll they will make, do it. Yeah. And yeah. they'll just it, make you work harder. Uh, <laughs> they will. I've got, a, I've got a funny anecdote. 
uh, which involves me doing a Jamaican accent. <laughs> Go for it, Josh. Hey, that's my language. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it is it. But I, it will only obviously work for certain kinds of jobs. Interestingly, one of the jobs that they're doing as, on the trial is a fish and chip shop. So there are certain things I can't yeah. see how you can fit in that level of productivity when it's shift work like that. Exactly. That don't try it at the you know NHS. What? I yeah. think it would work. When I, I used to work in a call centre and people were always tired because they worked so, such long hours. And you're right, they ended up just d deliberately going to the coffee machine when they didn't want a coffee. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing to get mm -hmm. through the day. I think maybe, this would maybe, work. My yeah. instinct I is agree. that this would no, I think it, look, I think it's a great idea. I'm a, when I used to have an actual proper job, it was... Uh, I, I managed to do that... I, for two weeks, I didn't do anything, and I did it all in two hours. And we're okay. all comedians, yeah. and people always say to us, oh, my God, that's so scary. How can you do that? I'm like, you know what's scary? Working eight hours a day. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 20 minutes on a stage of an evening. It's less time-consuming. <laughs> anyway, Tuesday, sun next. There's been a lot of negative feeling against jabs the last few years, but maybe people will be more receptive to this particular job, Dana. What's all this about? Of course, everybody wants the, the quick fix when it comes to weight loss. So a game-changing drug helps tubby adults shed up to 52 pounds, according to a major study. The highest dose of the weekly ingest, uh, injection known as terazepatide. I'm glad you tried to pronounce that, because I think yes. that's Yes, Something medical. So obese adults drop more than a fifth of their body weight in a little over a year. I mean, anything to avoid diet and exercise, right? Yeah, but you know, that's that's an incredible result. I mean, that's the equivalent of stomach stapling. You sure, know, that, that's but a you big... have to stay on the drug. That's the problem. You right. have to stay on it. And again, isn't this the same with every every quick fix, every diet? That Ultimately, what happens is people do it, and they lose those away, and then they put it all back on within the next few months. Doesn't that just happen? I don't, you seem naturally spelled. No, I, I, th thank you, but no, I've got a tummy, and this drug sounds fantastic. Uh, side effects, though, include vomiting and diarrhea, but surely that's a good thing. What that's going to help you lose more weight. It's a, yeah, well, that's <laughs> potentially. You're not a doctor, but, you know, yeah, there could be something in that. We're going to crack right on with Tuesday's Times once more, and... Uh, are mass school shootings an embedded aspect of a free society, Dana? What an odd question. <laughs> well, they seem to be. I don't know how many uh, school shootings we have to uh, see happening in America before they actually decide to do something. So almost a third of Americans believe that mass shootings are an acceptable price to pay for living in a free society. I mean, <laughs> living in a free society. Well, not living That's to the, the ones funny who shot. I mean, it's not so free when you're laying in your grave, is it? Can you explain this to me, Dana? You know, you're a Canadian. Mm -hmm. Canada's full of guns. Yep. They don't have this problem. What, so is it about the availability of guns or is it about something else? I think it's definitely about the availability of guns. I think it's also about the types of guns right. that people have. We're talking about assault you know, weapons, semi-automatics and things like that. But I think we also have to look at our, our culture. I don't know. One of the things I thought was so... Interesting was when Sasha Baron Cohen, I don't know if you remember when he did that whole special, Who is America? Yes. And they actually got one of these gun lobbyists. He tricked him into uh, supporting a, a program called the Kinder Guardians Program, which sought to actually arm children wow. with, you know, guns so, likened to toys, like the Uzi corn and things and like that. And he was that. saying this... He oh, and he didn't, he didn't even understand he was being made fun of. It's there, there, I, I, I can't even explain. Well, it's a different mindset, isn't it? And, you know, Completely. I do... And it's, you know, and it's held... Uh, the view, uh, uh, the, the pro-gun view is held by some very intelligent people. And I've tried to get my mind into it. I've tried to understand the viewpoint... But I keep coming back to this point, that if, if guns are readily accessible, then bad people will get them and commit more. Is this just too simplistic of me? No, I agree with you. I, like you say, there are people that we know, friends, and, and they put forward all these different theories. But, yeah, if there, if there aren't the guns, 
you're not going to get the murders. And and what's happening now is, Matt, on this weekend, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, they're desperately trying to get something through the yes. government, which is a miracle if they do. Uh, but whilst they've been doing that, during this weekend, there's been 10 more mass shootings. I mean, it's absolutely horrific, the extent of it. I mean, one of the arguments that is put forward is that, you know, if you have people who are armed, it actually reduces the possibility of this because these shooters can be taken down quickly. And we did see in Texas, you know, the man who tried to do a mass shooting in a church, he was dead within seconds because half of the congregation were armed. So it's, that's it's the too argument. It's a risk. It's a yeah. roll of the dice. We can also look at the other school shooting where the authorities just sat outside twiddling their thumbs as these children were annihilated for 40 minutes within their school. They, so you might get lucky with somebody who actually has the nerve to do something with the gun or has the proper training and, and, to actually wield and that, And that's an right? interesting one because you're talking about the recent Texas shooting mm -hmm. and, and at that school, you know, the rules changed after Sandy Hook. The police were meant to go in, right? So that yeah. them holding back for that hour while this was going on, they weren't doing what they were meant to be doing. That's a massive scandal. Yeah, it's a huge scandal. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, anyway, it's, it's, we should move on. But, yeah, it's a, it's a shocking story. There's going to be more on that, no doubt. Now, it wouldn't be headliners without a story on Elon Musk. And this one's from The Times, Josh. What have you got? Yeah, so this has actually been going on for a little while now, but he's essentially been saying that Twitter is not really giving up its real figure of the number of bots it has. He's, yes. uh, Twitter says about 5% of their accounts are fake. Uh, Elon Musk is saying that it could be 95%. Okay, that's talk, a huge, that's a massive discrepancy. Okay, talk, talk us through this clearly. So, so, so Elon Musk, as we know, has bid to buy Twitter for $44 billion or whatever it yeah. is. And he's saying that as part of the merger agreement, they are not giving him the information about the number of accounts that are fake. Yeah. Twitter's saying 5%, he says up to 90%. Um, but why wouldn't they just release the information? I mean, he's going to be the next owner. Why wouldn't they? Because it would obviously lower the price. It would, less people, less real people on Twitter means less advertise, potential advertising. Buyers, potential which is, buyers. Yeah, which is going to take down so, the price of the shares. And well, well, the way you put it like that, it sounds like he's got a legitimate case and hasn't he, Dana? Like that he should be able to have access to well, this information. Well, I've said it before on this show, he is playing mm. games. He's coming in, coming out, seeing what he can do with these stock prices. And I think it's really interesting that Twitter is trying to to claim that only 5% of its users are bots because they are also saying, we suspend over half a million spam accounts every day. Half a million every day, usually before you even see them on Twitter. I mean, how many times have you been trolled by someone? You look them up and they have one follower. Or, or sometimes you get trolled followers. and then you look back a few minutes later and it's a suspended account. It yeah. was only there for a moment, momentarily. I mean, it's a, it, it, could it be the case that up to 90% he, of well, these accounts I don't are know about 90. Yeah, well, that's what he's saying. But I, if I was him, I wouldn't be saying that because he's got 90, 97 million followers. Yes. But according to him, he's actually only got really about 5 million. Yeah, he shouldn't so be So I'd saying. rather just pay a higher price and say, oh, yeah, I've got 96 Especially million Especially if followers. you're the richest man in the world. But, yeah. you know, maybe you're right, Dan. So maybe he's just trying to get a lower price on his, on his he's purchase. He's trying to get a lower price. He's trying to play with the system. Give me a break. I don't think he's going to buy it in the end. Who knows? We shall find out. Uh, Guardian once more. And apparently, French cuisine is the finest in the world. But you know what? This story, it doesn't sound like it to me. Dana, you've got something on this. Yeah, so France puts 18 people on trial over alleged involvement in vast horse horse meat scandal. The defendants are accused of participation in supply of horse meat unfit for human consumption across Europe. I mean, you'd think that horse meat was unfit <laughs> for human consumption. Well, you say that, but the Full French stop. eat everything. I mean, I've been in those stop. French outdoor markets and they have 
bulls' testicles in trays and all sorts of things. They eat every part of the animal and all kinds of animals, you know? Well, I think it was that the, the horse had been given insecticides, worming, and anti-inflammatory treatments that would have made him totally right. unfit for But that's what's shocking about this article, isn't it? Because it's talking about con men who, who say that they will say to a horse owner, we will take your elderly horse away and look after it, effectively give it a nice retirement. And what they've been doing is, in fact, you know, sending it off to the abattoir like Boxer in Animal yeah. Farm. But, we but, all like but, a little but recycling. They paid a, they paid a price. Eight of the accused I have actually already been in prison since 2015. Can you imagine I mean, telling so they... people on the cell block <laughs> yeah, 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 that yeah. that's what you're in for? I know. <laughs> but I mean, we, we had our own horse meat scandal. Do you remember a few years yes, ago? Yes, I do. You know, I think they were in like supermarket lasagnas and things like this. And, you know, but at the time I sort of thought, well, you know, I'm a vegetarian, you know, what's the difference between eating a cow and a horse, really? Well, yeah, my, my boyfriend asked me today if I'd ever uh, eaten a, a rabbit. And the only thing I could say to him is, not that I know of. <laughs> no. Well, the rabbit is meant to be delicious. Apparently. Apparently. Hey, I'm not going to knock it. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> I've tried it. Daily Star now, and aside from being the figurehead of a nation, an iconic and deeply respected stateswoman and the most famous person in the world, it turns out that the Queen is an expert gambler. Is there anything she can't do, Josh? She has many, many skills. Uh, so she, he, this, the Queen is someone who doesn't eat the horses. She, I hope she, not. She puts them out and makes some serious money from them. Uh, she's made £8.7 million pounds, uh, in the last 35 years from uh, racing her horses. Which it's is almost as much as Andrew needed. Oh! Goodness me. Does it say how much she's lost when she puts these bets on? Or how? Or the extent... Or is it just it recording does, her I winnings? Think if you, no, but it does say if you've been betting on her horses, over that time, you would have actually lost uh, in, the, in, the, in the Grand Prix. I mean, but this is a lot. 8.7 million in the last 35 years. I mean, you could live off that. Definitely. And I, I would think with that kind of money, I mean, I think we all heard the story about how much she's paying for her in-care worker. Splurge. I mean, goodness Spur me. Splurge queen. But she's obviously got an eye for this. Sort of. I mean, because it's not easy. She loves her horses. I'm sure she has many advisors as well. Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. Probably. OK, we're going to uh, move on. Uh, and uh, we're going on to... Now, this is an interesting story about... Ivory, an ivory ban, Dana. What have you got on this one? Yeah, so sweeping restrictions on ivory trading have been celebrated as a landmark moment in tackling the slaughter of two, 20, sorry, 20,000 elephants every year for their tusks. So, yes, ivory bans, they're happening. Too little, too late, well, because I think there still are uh, an endangered species. But what I thought was kind of interesting is that I always, when I, whenever I thought of ivory, I always immediately went to... Um, uh, elephants. Apparently, they're they're taking these from hippopotamus Hippopot and, yeah. and, and walruses, uh, walruses yeah. and, yeah. and everything I else. Think about I had no idea ebony. about. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> going to have a song now. Well, you know, that's what this show needs, a bit more musical theatre at, the, at its heart. But this is interesting to me. So this is a British ivory band. In other words, there were people in Britain buying this stuff and, and supporting the trade. to you? I would have thought they would have done this ages ago. Because, you know, hasn't this been illegal for a long time? These are endangered animals. These are animals that require our protection. Right. You but, know, am I being too sentimental? I don't know. I don't think you're being too sentimental, but I think, you know... In in theory, they are illegal, but I think there's a lot of people who are poaching illegally, yeah. sadly, throughout the continent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this story is talking about how some of the uh, ivory traders are saying that they want to sort of amnesty but, but, and sell their ivory stockpiles, but that's just going to be exploited. One thing it? I will say when it comes to people who, you know, hunt game animals and things like that, when they do have a business, a lot of people don't understand that they actually have... Um, they want things to be preserved, right? Because if they hunt everything, their business, no is business is done. So yes, yeah, so they have they have they have more at stake when it comes to conserving these sure. species I just, than I just other I do judge do in many cases. I do judge these people very harshly just because I you know I think these animals need to be protected. I really animals do. are so delicious. 
Not to eat. Not, not for me. Not for me. Are you a vegetarian? I'm a vegetarian. Aww. <laughs> Dana's very disappointed in me now. Anyway, <laughs> Telegraph now. And Josh, you're somewhat of a dab, dab hand at throwing parties. Would you ever throw one for yourself? Um, no, well, I mean, that's what you do when you get married. Isn't a wedding sort of a sort of mutual... It is, isn't it? ...celebrate, yeah. It, 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 this article is kind of incredibly what, annoying. What's it about? Uh, tell so tell us this person, they, they basically said, oh, I spent £15,000 on a party for myself. Yeah. Now, but then you read a bit, and then it turns out, really, it's just they're pushing this book, and it was actually a book launch. So it's not really... A part like you're just going to randomly go. Well, yeah, exactly. But you're not r randomly so, just going to go. Wait a minute. I'm just going to. I'm not married. I've got this money in my account. I'm just going to have a big party celebrating me. No, this person's written a book and they've got a reason for the party. So every example this person uses, I'm not even going to mention the book because it's so it's so annoying. This article it's just <laughs> literally all about selling their book. But everybody there who's like says, yeah, this is a great idea. All the examples. Uh, there's a reason for it. Someone doing a business, a third year anniversary, whatever it is, it's not really just like a pure ego fest. I mean, arguably, it's an ego yeah, fest. Yeah, but look what they've done here. This is clever. This is an author called Radhika Sangani. Don't mention her! Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> because actually, the title of the, the article, would yeah. you spend 15K on a party to yeah. celebrate yourself? And it's got us talking, but yeah. she's selling a book. This is smart. She's obviously got a contact to the I Telegraph. Mean, we're talking yeah. about her now. We're she's doing really it. really smart. It worked. It's, a, it's 15 grand well spent. Do you know what, though? There is something to be said because I'm probably going to be a spinster. Uh, I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. That's just the reality <laughs> of my life. And I think if I ever wanted to have a party, no, I wouldn't spend 15K. But I really would love to have all the people that I know come together and get to meet each other. The other thing I think would be amazing, my one friend, Danette, she wanted to have a pre-funeral funeral. It really bothers me that I'm not going to be alive at my funeral. There are people who do I that. I think about this. No, I think about you this. Can Sometimes get it I done. just want to wake up and be like, just kidding, can I join it? You can do it. There <laughs> are people tomorrow. you can pay to put on those pre-funeral ceremonies. I'm doing it. And you it. can sit up in your coffin and say, this is hopeless. Do it differently. You yeah, know, change I the music. It. I it's totally want I want to be at my funeral. <laughs> Tuesday's Express now. Me too. I want to be at your funeral. <laughs> Thanks for that, Josh. Good luck with that. Tuesday's Express now. And this is one that is sure to inspire some furious inventory reassessments of household bric-a-bac up and down the country, Dana. Yeah, so a rare painting by a Renaissance artist has been found in the bedroom of an elderly woman in Enfield. That's my area. Is it? Yes, which is... Full of crime. <laughs> so oh. I like how they find this this artifact all of a sudden for you know a quarter of a million pound, and she's like, "I'm senile. I don't know how now, I." What are you it. implying, Diana? <laughs> oh, I just Goodness. saw a police raid. I watched it for, like on my phone for twenty minutes but, across the street from my house. I mean, we gotta look at how she got this. Of course, we've come through the Second World War and things like that. Yes. So many art artifacts and pieces of art have been stolen and and sold on the black market. I feel like. We gotta find out where she got this. But look, she's an elder. She's an elderly woman, and in that the doesn't mean she wasn't a no, thief. But it said when it was she, was she inherited it from her dad, is what it says. She inherited. The article says that she inherited it a long time ago. Where did he get it? Didn't know what it was. But you, well, you've watched Antiques Roadshow. They often don't know what these yeah. things are. This is apparently a, a painting uh, by a student of Botticelli. And it was above her bed for 30 years and she didn't know. I mean, I know you're sceptical, Dana. Very. But I like to believe people and people are good at heart. And but I especially I, a little old woman. Who might have been, as you're saying, a, a young thief for all we Yeah, know. you don't but know. No, She'd be Bonnie. What do you well, think, Josh? my favourite part of the article, and by the way, dementia, family members, it's, it's truly horrific uh, disease. But uh, the auction house said that the family of the woman had expressed an interest in putting her in better care, i.e. they're going to use that money... Right. To do it. No, they didn't say we're going to use that money 
to better. We might. We said, oh, we, yeah, we might. You know, oh, no, they, they absolutely are, must now, surely. Well, they, all they've said is they haven't said, and everyone's gone, oh, brilliant, they're doing it. No, they've they just expressed an interest. Oh, so we don't know where this money's going to go. They could be like, you know, whatever, she's got dementia, what does she know? Well, let's What's hope they on? do the right thing. Yeah. However she got the painting, a let's hope... A quarter of a million pound above your bed in Enfield and all of a sudden you have dementia? <laughs> I don't buy it. OK, well... Wow, <laughs> who is to say? Very harsh. Let's move on now, The Telegraph. And is CBD just a big scam, Josh? Yeah, so this is uh, CBD, which is one of the... Byproducts Cannabinoid. Of, yeah. Of, of, yeah, uh, can you explain what it is? Because I've never heard of this before I read this article. So, uh, let right me now. tell you all about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of the chemicals that are in, um, that are in cannabis. cannabis. It says it's yeah. from hemp, but yeah. this says... Without it, the psychoactive effect. Right. Yeah. So, right. so, so it's just supposed to calm you down, let you sleep but, a little what, bit. What but, so it's quite interesting that, that it, there's been a bit of a gold rush in this because a lot of people saying it has lots of beneficial effects for right. sleep, for... And David uh, Beckham has supported it. Yeah, he's, or he's like went in 5% of the tried company CBD? or something. And I haven't tried any drugs it's ever. It's legal, no, people. Whim. I can't, I can't so do it's, it. It's legal, but it doesn't, it's expensive. it doesn't make you high. So what's the purpose of... Well, it? no, because it supposedly does have some beneficial effects. OK. Uh, that's Anxiety. what they're saying. But, well, this is what they're trying to prove, because the, the Food uh, Authority have, uh, have, have got involved now to try and say whether they can sell this stuff or not. Right. And only... Uh, I think nine, few hundred people went in for... 900 applications went into the uh, Food Standards Agency and only 70 were actually passed. Okay. And what they're saying is... for the Yeah, is that, is that the quality of the applications was lower than we anticipated, i.e. a bunch of stoners sent through these forms, they were rubbish, and uh, it Don't seems like they didn't... Us. Whatever, Don't I'm just us. saying... So they, didn't do, they, did, they didn't do well so on the is, forms. What is the implication then? Is, is it they can't go... sell their products, some of the, the people who but went in Basically, there, yeah. the amount that you're going to be sold over the counter is um, like a tenth of what you actually need to treat somebody. So what right. we're getting is, in a sense, snake oil. And what they're suggesting is that we believe, of course, placebo, nocebo. Um, placebo is when you think, you know, something's going to happen. So your mind, so your mind actually, does it for you. So your mind does it for you, yeah. you know, essentially. And it's, it's a great... Go to Holland you, and Barrett. That stuff's like 70, like 70 you pounds. You can get it in a health food shop. Yeah, oh, yeah, 70, yeah, yeah. You can also get stopped by the Dubai authorities. It's actually worth more it. than the vitamin C and D supplement market. Right. And I take a lot of vitamin C and uh, just enough to get high. You know what? You're looking great on it, Josh. Thanks. The mirror now. And a particularly misogynistic bird of prey, Dana. Yeah, so blonde women are being targeted as usual by swooping buzzards at a village terrorized by birds of prey. So one 57-year-old woman was left pouring blood and suffered two wounds after an angry buzzard swooped at her as the bird of prey is thought to be defending its nest. And I have to wonder, I don't know why they are specifically targeting blonde women. This woman had her hair in a ponytail. I wonder if it's like a sight thing and that's just what they can see. So this is this article is saying that this particular buzzard likes blonde women. Yes. And, and has attacked a blonde woman before. It's also attacked a man as well. Oh, okay. It has actually. So not a My son bird. has been swooped at by this bird uh, a lot in the last few weeks. So I think maybe there's just a lot of blonde people around there and they're just trying to make this a persecution maybe. issue. But I feel like this bird, if it could see you, it's coming. Maybe maybe the bird is a critic. Maybe it's like, get your roots done. This is, the, that peroxide <laughs> is wrong. You know, maybe that's what it is. It's, it's a good one. It's, it's different different hairstyle, different, yeah. yeah it's, it's, you're too old for ponytails, lady. <laughs> that's does, a good point. It does what sound is like, a 57-year-old doing in a ponytail? Yeah, well, maybe the bird's right, but it does sound like a problem with the bird rather than birds in general. It reminds me a bit of the Alfred Hitchcock Film. You know, when they the just birds. Cut, yeah, the birds they start attacking you or omen two. I've always thought that yeah. birds are government spies. 
People say this. Yes, and my dad is like, Dana, stop smoking you on, pot. Yes, <laughs> stop, stop taking those supplements. Yeah. There is a conspiracy theory in America that birds are, are all robots. They're not real. I agree. When I see that little thing outside my head looking like a robot, I'm like, what are you looking in my window for? I actually you close, know, I close the blinds on birds. I don't trust them. Well, they're, well, they're descended from dinosaurs, by if, all accounts. If you want to spy on people, do it in a bird. Yeah. A bird would be the perfect spy. Wow. <laughs> Wow, you are, you are high. <laughs> no. You think train a bird to spy for you? I've been here for you? five hours. Have I been doing anything except for water? I don't know, Come you on. went to the toilet a lot. <laughs> I didn't even go once. Well, I think the moral of the story there, don't trust birds and get your hair done so, it, so you don't get attacked <laughs> yes, by the birds. Good advice. I will take you up on that. Thank yeah, you, Andrew. Well, we always like to end the show on a moral, and there you have it. Uh, that is all that we have time for. Thank you to my guests, Dana Alexander and Josh Howie. And please do uh, join us tomorrow where we'll be back 11 o'clock for Headliners with two different comedians just as good as tonight. And we will see you tomorrow. Farewell. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 